Welcome to the Cybersecurity Weekly Podcast. I'm Jane Lowe, podcasting from Singapore today. And with us today, joining from California is Joseph Weiss. And Joe is a managing partner at Applied Control Solutions and a fellow at the International Society of Automation Standards. And is also a registered professional engineer in the states of California, a certified information security manager, and is also certified in risk and information systems control. And he will be sharing with us perspectives and highlights of his keynotes and presentations on control system risks, including the recent conference on digital forensics and cybercrime held in Singapore. Thank you, Joe, for joining us in the podcast today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so we are glad that you are able to present to us listeners, many of whom are in the cybersecurity community, with views from our engineers and also a control system experts' perspective. And I thought we could start with an overarching challenge that's usually raised in cybersecurity conference when it comes to industrial control systems and critical infrastructure, which is that there's no sort of holistic understanding or the end-to-end picture of risk. But you pointed out that this situation really only manifested in the post 9-11 world. And prior to that, engineers owned everything about their machines. So turbine engineers know everything about turbine risks, including cybersecurity related ones, manufacturing engineers about their manufacturing equipment and so on. But this situation changed in the last 20 years. So tell us about this. Okay, when, when I say that, well, what happened was Prior to the 9-11, you know, events, 2001, you know, with, with the plane crashes in the United States, cyber was really a business issue because if control systems don't work, you can't make anything. Well, that's why everything was under the purview of the engineers because it was a business issue the same way it was a business issue to make sure that the equipment would work. However, IT was kind of an uninvited guest. If if you needed IT, you'd go ask for them. But they weren't going to be around playing with your equipment without you telling them exactly what to do. Well, following 9-11, and I don't have a date and I don't have a document, cyber was made national security. And when that happened, cyber were taken from every engineering organization and given to IT because IT was doing cybersecurity. And when that happened, that severed the link between the engineers who knew how the equipment worked and the people who were doing cybersecurity. But unfortunately, it also led to the equipment that didn't look like IT equipment no longer having any cybersecurity in them at all. And what happened was that was never recognized because when it went over to the IT side, or now it's called OT, operational technology, the focus was on the network. So the fact that sensors, valves, motors, relays, all of this engineering stuff was not being addressed didn't mean anything because these people were never addressing it to start with. You just mentioned the, the terminology, operational technology, and you also mentioned in, in your uh, various presentations that this term really came about, um, uh, the term was conceived by Gartner. So this was a fairly new terminology as well. And yes. it also 
Yes, so it fermented further the, um, the, the risk picture and it sort of divides the world of control systems risk into two. Well, what you said to start with is really correct. A control system consists of the sensors and actuators, the, in other words, the engineering stuff, the networks that take the data coming from the engineering stuff and send it over to the human machine interface, the HMI in this case, you know, your Windows systems. And from there off to corporate or, you know, the cloud or wherever, okay? And truly all of those aspects. What's happening, unfortunately, is today with cybersecurity, it's only dealing with the network parts and it's just simply ignored the things that make it a control system. Mm. Yeah, we, we talk about how cybersecurity professionals have different goals and priorities versus the control systems engineers. And, you know, a common one that is usually raised is, you know, how uh, engineers will look at the control systems from a perspective of safety, reliability, productivity versus cybersecurity professionals on, you know, confidentiality, integrity, accessibility. But you also mentioned a few uh, other examples as well. And uh, I thought I could bring up one at this point, um, the Purdue model, right? Um, which is a view of how the control systems function and interact versus the um, cybersecurity or, or, or the network um, professionals view, which is OSI, the open systems uh, interconnection model, which is a view yes. of course of the in telecom and uh, computing systems uh, function and interact. And these mm -hmm. two different views is also an example that underscores the different priorities. It really does. Um, the Purdue reference model really was developed for a completely different reason. One of the, re one of the reasons was that there was a, a real need to come up with an interface so you could get data, you know, from a large manufacturer who had a plant distributed control system and to get that data off to an enterprise resource planning system, you know, uh, a SAP or an Oracle or something like that. And so the Purdue reference model was really developed. It was kind of a timing-based model that was defining what the different parts of the control system were and where they would interface, you know, outside the control system domain. So it's very different than the OSI seven-layer stack, which was really looking at you know, communication protocol levels. They're related, sort of, but they're very different. And yeah. the network people think in OSI terms, the engineers think in the Purdue terms, and they are different. Yes, and so this leads to, and this is one of the reasons why there's a different, of course, um, perspectives on what is the ultimate um, aspect of risk to be uh, assessed and mitigated. And so you also talked about a security model of zero trust in, of course, in the cybersecurity world. And this is very different uh, versus the principle of, or, or rather the assumption of 100% trust in control systems from an engineer's perspective. And yeah, so tell us about this, you know, assumption of 100% trust and okay. how it could be abused. Well, what's happening is this, where you have 
traditional networks, and that's literally within a control system too. You can have a zero trust model where it falls apart is when you start getting down to the field devices, the sensors, actuators, drives, things like that. Because as long as you're at a network layer, an IP network layer, you've got the capabilities for having authentication, for having encryption, for having all of the aspects you need, you know, in the IT world to assure that the network is only communicating with who it's supposed to be communicating and, and when it's supposed to be communicating with them. But that same level of technology doesn't apply once you get all the way down to this lowest level. The most popular sensor, process sensor, not network sensor, the most popular process sensor in the world is called HART, H-A-R-T. It's built on 1,200 baud modems. To this day, that is the most popular sensor network in the world. How are you going to apply all of these modern cybersecurity technologies to a 1,200 baud network? The oh. other point is mm. the sensors operate in real time. It's not like you're sending something and three seconds or five seconds later, it gets to the um, Windows-based control system or operator display. That sensor is reading, for example, the temperature constantly. It is sending signals to the controllers. It's not touching that IP network. So this whole concept of zero trust is different. Mm. So the two points that you bring up, if I understand correctly, the first one refers to um, possible spoofing because we don't have yet in, in the control system sensors, um, cybersecurity controls such as authentication to, uh, to mitigate against potential spoofing, for example. Exactly, you're exactly right. And that's one of the things that has us so concerned with these hardware backdoors and these Chinese-made large electric transformers. Mm. How do we know that the signals that are going to the equipment inside the transformer are coming from inside the transformer or coming from Beijing? That, that is certainly a huge challenge. And the second challenge is even if we put aside, you know, there's no malicious um, intent, the second challenge I believe uh, you brought up is how good is the data to begin with? And um, and this is the data that the engineers depend on to monitor their equipment. And this is about, for example, when implementing um, digital twins, the potential loss of crucial raw information in converting signal data, which is analog into computer digital data. And this loss of raw information could be crucial signal data to inform engineers about any unexpected malfunctioning of um, equipment. Is that your second point? Yeah. Um, in fact, I'll read you something. This is in this month's issue, or the October issue, I should say, of Automation World. And what it's talking about are, it's really about legacy retrofits, but it says the following. 
an oft forgotten consideration in the planning process is the long-term maintenance of any sensors. Making sure that sensors are calibrated appropriately is a long-term difficulty that few people plan for. Besides experience some drift that occurs naturally over time, sensors are also, are also eventually fail in industrial settings because they are installed in hostile environments such as on vibrating, vibrating machinery and electromagnetic fields and near heat sources. But what they're saying is the sensors, what drift means instead of being at say 80 degrees, they may read 79 or 78 or 77 or 81 or 82. Well, they're not accurate. And you're taking actions on inaccurate information. You know, it's like taking your, your temperature to see if you have a fever. If the thermometer is wrong and it's telling you you're at 100 degrees, you're going to want to go to the hospital. You're That's perfectly right. fine, but your, your thermometer is telling you you're sick. Conversely, if the sensor tells you you're at 98.6, but you really have a 100-degree fever, you can get sick and possibly die because you don't even know you have a problem. Yeah, data integrity of the information coming from control systems is something that, you know, uh, has yet to date not been a, a key focus, I believe, my personal view, in cybersecurity conferences when it comes to control systems. Um, and of course, you know, software can be easily, more easily patched or replaced uh, than hardware or even for that matter, control system parts. So to replace um, control system parts, that's a major um, ch challenge. It is a huge uh, project on its own, isn't it? Just to shut down just for one day or even more to replace a part. Yeah, I mean, the, the issue is if you've got a part that's bad, it depends how critical that part is. Can you afford to keep operating with it or do you have to shut down and fix it? Um, part of what's going on is you're asking, do I really, really, really know that it's working properly and that I can believe, or let me put it this way, can I believe the sensors telling me it's not working well, or is it really truly working well and the sensors are wrong? Yeah, there's another example which would also come into this uh, discussion that we have about data integrity, which is um, about programmable logic controls, right? Um, mm -hmm. And I understand, yes, so I understand this is, that it could potentially be compromised by hackers intruding into corporate networks and then moving laterally into control systems network and then onto abusing the configuration files of programmable logic controls, for example. Mm -hmm. Right. But we yeah. also do not focus on operating environments of these uh, control systems uh, being protected from, say, other potential threats like electromagnetic interference and disturbances. Well, here's the other point. You're making the assumption that the controller is going to be compromised because somebody's going to move laterally from the IT network into the OT network to the controller. But if you compromise the sensor input to the controller, the controller is compromised and you don't know it. Well, that's a hardware problem, isn't it? It really is. Mm. You know, and, and that's why I was saying what I just read you. If the sensor is off, 
regardless of why. It doesn't have to be that the sensor was hacked. As long as that sensor is within range, the controller is going to act on it regardless. So if it's telling it, you know, if if you've got, say, a pot of water being heated up and you've got a sensor measuring the temperature and then a controller monitoring the burner. So if it gets too hot, it turns the burner down. If, it's, if it gets too cold, it turns the burner up, okay? If the sensor input to that controller is reading too low a level, then you're going to always have that pot of water cooler than it should be. Mm. If you have, if the sensor is perpetually reading high, you're going to perpetually have that water hotter than it should be, potentially bubbling and causing a real problem. Mm. You know, we're steaming away. Um, the controller is depending on the sensor being accurate. So we're talking about hardware that's been uh, misconfigured or compromised, and it doesn't necessarily has to be a software, um, no. a network hacking. It could be... No, it doesn't have to be a network hack at all. That's right. Yeah, yes. But, but um, you know, mm. I, I had a conversation today with somebody from the government. They're reacting the same way you are. Well, of course, it has to be a network problem? And the answer is no, it doesn't have to be a network problem. It's just that's where our focus is. But it also could be um, due to environmental factors, isn't it? Like, for example, electromagnetic uh, interference or disturbances Absolutely. that could affect, right? Yeah. Which is also not a focus so far in many but, of the cybersecurity conferences when it comes to industrial control systems. Mm. So, um, yeah, so we just talked about the Purdue model versus the OSI model, zero trust versus 100% 100 trust, compromised hardware. Um, you also talk about a need for a paradigm shift in how we approach um, this situation, that we need to think of them as physical equipment with cyber connection, so not the other way around. So we are talking about physical cyber risk rather than the term that we usually use in cybersecurity conference, which is cyber physical risks. Right. And the reason I bring that up is when you say it's cyber physical, you're implying it's a cyber system. A pump or a heat exchanger or a motor is not a cyber system. That's a physical system. It happens to have a cyber connection. And when you treat it, when you call it cyber physical, then your focus is on the cyber. This is a physical system. Your focus had better be on the physical nature of that system. And can cyber cause the physical system to have a problem? Yes. And we're you, doing it backwards. Mm. Yeah, you pointed out that engineers need to lead and the network people is the support and not the That's other way exactly. around. You know, when you build a car, who's building a car? The engineers are building the car. The, the network people aren't building the car. You know, when you're going to have an operation, the doctor's doing the operation, not the network people, you know, who put the network in the operating room. Who do you want to be doing the, oper your, you know, operating on your heart? A network person or a heart surgeon? That's a good analogy. And we're doing it. We're trying to have the network person do a heart operation. This is, this is insane. I understand that you are on the committee of the, the ISA 99 standards 
Yeah. So tell us about some of the findings and to what extent this it will reflect this uh, paradigm shift that you are uh, talking about. Okay. First of all, just for, for those who aren't aware, number one, ISA stands for the International Society of Automation. Number two, ISA 99 is this international standard on what's called IACS, which is Industrial Automation and Control Systems. And committee that develops the standards is ISA 99. The standards that come out from the committee are ISA IEC 62443 series of standards. So if you hear the 62443s, that's ISA 99. ISA 99 is developing a suite of standards for the life cycle of the control system. And it includes um, the design, the uh, implementation, the maintenance, the disposal, and it also includes uh, the programmatic issues, um, what system integrators should be doing, what the vendor, you know, the control system vendors should be doing, and also uh, something on risk management. Uh, one of the more interesting ones is ISA is developing a standard for patch management for control systems. Wow, fascinating. That's the only one that I'm aware of anywhere that is unique to control systems. We have had more problems than you can imagine because people are using IT patch management procedures and are causing great problems to control systems. So, you know, this, this whole thing, the whole reason ISA 99 was started is because the ISO 27000 series is for IT. That's and right. There are a lot of places that if you try to apply that IT methodology, you will harm a control system. So hopefully this is one step uh, towards uh, merging, or, or rather not merging, bring the standards in the IT world um, together with the standards in the control systems world. Because we eventually, also talk about different standards in the two worlds. Yeah. See, eventually, they're, they're not going to really be merged. Open us closer. Be, is have to be taken, to have both of them taken into account. And, and the real issue is, where you have IT, you know, if you will, from the Purdue reference model, say from level four on up, IT policies and procedures are probably okay. But certainly for level zero, one, two, and three, they're not. The lower you go, the more important it is to use control system specific policies and procedures. And that's generally or way too often not happening. Um, so as part of this uh, paradigm shift, to, to make it happen, you, you also talk about um, a more focus on process anomaly detections, for example, to get the ground truth. Right. Now, here, here's the point about the paradigm shift. When I mentioned ISA 99, that's independent of the paradigm shift. The paradigm shift is this. 
and, and again, it goes back. To, it's almost a going back to where we started from. The control system people originally were responsible for their equipment. And so whatever they were doing, they were doing knowing what this could mean to their equipment. Well, I mentioned, you know, following 9-11, IT came in and kind of took over a thing. And so a lot of those things that were unique for control systems got lost. When you think about a control system, what I did, what many people did and still do, is they monitor the process. And part of that is monitoring the sensors. You know, are the pressures, levels, flows, temperatures, um, chemical compositions, motor speeds, are all of those appropriate to where you are? If they are, then your process is doing what it should be doing. And if the network is telling you anything different, the network is wrong. What we're looking at when you look at the sensors is ground truth. What we need to change is to go back to where we started and make control system cybersecurity a process issue with the networks providing support. In other words, what's most important to us is that boiler operating at the right temperatures and pressures and making the right things. The network is simply a support. But what we've been doing today is ignoring what's going on in the boiler and asking, gee, is our network telling us what we want to know? Well, the network can't. And the other thing is what has been happening with things like SolarWinds and the Microsoft Exchange server is the IT networks, which ostensibly were highly protected, have ended up being compromised. Even with all of the most modern cybersecurity technologies around being implemented. So what this is really saying is we need to have to be able to know what is going on at the real process, what's happening with that boiler. Because we can't trust necessarily that simply reading or looking at the networks that it's telling us the truth. IT is all about data and nothing but data. We don't have an option with IT to look at something else. But for control systems, we have the option to look at the actual process. And it's not an option. That should be mandatory. I think for many of us, when we listen to that, it's quite um, logical. You know, look at the problem at its source, right? Isolate yes. the problem at source rather yes. than waiting for the um, information to come downstream, right? Yes. And it just seems so logical. It does. That it can't be that difficult. It doesn't have to be. I mean, I don't know if you ever saw the, the, the movie Back to the Future. Yeah. That's what we're talking about is going back to the future. We did this before we had IT network, IP networks. We keep forgetting that you can run a facility even if the IP networks aren't there. You won't be running it as efficiently as if you had the IP networks, but you can run a grid, a water system, a manufacturing facility. 
you can run it without those IP networks. It's just you won't get all of the, you know, all of the benefits. Mm. We have to be prepared and ready to run it. This is what the Ukrainians did after the Russians cyber attacked their grid. They ran the grid for six to eight months with no IP networks because they couldn't trust them. Yes. So we need to go back to the basics to where we started. And yes. um, that's right. Yeah. And some of the uh, examples that you um, highlighted about the different perspectives that underscore the different perspectives and priorities between you know, cybersecurity and the engineers will hopefully give uh, our cybersecurity uh, uh, community and listeners you know, food for thought about some considerations for, for need of a paradigm shift when it comes to uh, uh, control systems. So um, thank you very much, uh, Joe, for your time today. I'm, I have a lot more questions, but unfortunately, we have come to the end of our podcast and hopefully, you know, uh, we can perhaps uh, look at where we are maybe a year from now to see what the, some of the points that you brought up, how we have considered and uh, addressed them from a cybersecurity perspective. So thank you very much for your time today, Joe. Thank you for having me.